Are you self-employed and looking to get a home loan? Do you want to buy a property with your super fund? Or has your mortgage application been knocked back and you need a solution? At Better Mortgage Management, we specialize in solutions for home and investment loan borrowers. With over 50 loan products and 23 years lending experience, we have the flexibility and expertise to help you achieve your property dreams. Call us at 1300 857 275 to discuss how we can help you. This podcast is brought to you by Better Mortgage Management. You're tuning into Cancer Culture, a podcast all about cancer. My name is Jackie Cowan and I'm an ex-cancer patient and also your host. I'm on a mission to let cancer patients and people affected by cancer know that they are not alone. Throughout this episode and the course of the podcast, you'll hear stories from people who are currently enduring cancer, lost loved ones to cancer, or whose lives have permanently been scarred and changed by cancer. This podcast can be both insightful and sad, so please strap in as it's one for the brave. I'm most definitely not a medical practitioner, however, a survivor of an illness who wishes to bring individuals together through hope, genuine human interaction, and storytelling. You're listening to another episode of Cancer Culture. My name's Jackie Cowan, and today we are joined by another special guest, Ros McMaster, who is a Brisbane relationship counsellor. She's also an author, a psychic medium, and soon-to-be podcaster. How are you, Ros? I'm good, Jacqueline. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited always to tell my story. Absolutely, and it is, it's a big story. You have been through the ringer in terms of cancer, and before I get into it, Poor Roz has had to deal with me pushing back this episode for quite some time. (laughs) So we're both excited to rip into it. Can you tell me a little bit about your life prior to having cancer? When someone says, tell me your life before that, it's, oh, how long's a piece of string? Where do you want (laughs) me to start? But let's start with my marriage. I, I left home when I was 16. I had amazing life. I traveled a lot overseas, did all sorts of odd jobs didn't marry until I was 27. I had my first child at 30, went to university to study psychology after my first child was born and was married for, we were together for 30 years, married for 25. And as it turns out, it was quite a toxic marriage. He was a narcissist, um, what they call a covert narcissist. So he wasn't physically violent, but he was emotionally very controlling and manipulative. So all sorts of reasons why I stayed in that marriage, but I hung on to a lot of toxic emotions in that time, a lot of anger and resentment, which I never expressed. In 2014, he ended up sending me a text message when I finally said, what's going on? Why are you such a horrible person? He sent me a text message and said, look, I'm just not in love with you anymore. 30 years together. And that just shows you what a poor communicator he was. But anyway, that's another story. All those years of me being afraid to leave, that was the light bulb moment where I thought, you know what, any dreams I have about this getting better, it's not going to happen. And I made the decision to leave. So in 2015, I finally moved out. Yeah. And I'd lost such a big part of myself. When I moved out in 2015, I started in earnest rebuilding myself and discovering who I was because there was a reason why I stayed. There was a reason why I attracted so much unhappiness throughout my life. So as a a counsellor, I didn't want to move forward into my future making the same mistake. So I went on this journey of discovery right back to my childhood. And that's where my book has ended up coming from, where I analysed my own life and the reasons for my unhappiness. And I was finally feeling really on top of the world. I just felt so good. My diet was great. I had an exercise program. At that stage, then I, when I split from my husband, I went to work at a university with my sister. She'd been at me for ages to come and work there. So life was good. All the fear I had about being on my own, I was now feeling fantastic and I was at the university only for a short time, actually, and then I decided to quit and travel the world. So went off to India for a month, but before I went off to India, I'd had some bleeding 
and vaginal bleeding and I thought it might I'd already entered menopause so I thought it might just be some menopausal stuff that was going on and I had a cyst as it turns out on my ovaries I had a curette when I went to I think that was just weeks before I went to India so a month in India and some spotting continued and I thought maybe that's from the surgery from the curette so when I got back the gynecologist said listen, let's do a hysterectomy just to be on the safe side. So we're now in mid-2016 when this is happening. And in the course of the hysterectomy, we discovered I had metastasis all over my ovaries. That's where the cancer journey begins. And that's how a lot of cancers get found because they're generally not found until they're in the advanced stages because it just sneaks up on you. There's symptoms that like for me, like my bowel motions had started changing, but my diet had changed. Mm. So I could put it down to that, but I was feeling fit and healthy. I was emotionally well. I was physically well. So I had no idea, absolutely no idea. And I come from a really big spiritual community and they're all people who are into alternative health and they're like, don't cut your body up, don't let them do a hysterectomy. But every part of me knew that was the path I needed to take. And if I didn't have the hysterectomy, I'd be dead now. (laughs) They would never have found the cancer. So after that, what happened? That was a week before Mother's Day weekend. So on a week after the surgery, the gynecologist called me into his office. Never good when you get that call. You know it's going to be bad if they say, I need to see you. So he said, all right, let's send you for some scans. It looked like there was something going on in my bowel. It was Mother's Day weekend. I had Mother's Day with the kids. I had told my ex Andrew and we decided not to tell the kids at that point because we just we don't know what we're dealing with yet let's wait and see the night of Mother's Day I went into the hospital the next day I had a colonoscopy and surgeons said all right well it looks like there's a couple of tumors there in your bowel so we'll operate straight away he already booked, booked the surgery so after the operation he came while I was in recovery and He said, yeah, it looks like you've got two tumours there. There's stage four. And I just said, what's the prognosis? It was all very matter of fact. He was very bland. I was very bland. And he just said, stage four, two to three years, maybe four with chemo. I didn't find out until two years later that it was actually what's called a mucinous adrenocarcinoma, which apparently is a rarer form of bowel cancer and the reason I didn't find out till a couple of years later is because when they first give you all this information and the words your brain goes into shutdown so you you can see their mouths moving but you can't hear any words that are coming out of there yeah so I was in hospital for two weeks and broke the news to everybody but yeah I just as soon as he actually said yeah it's stage four bowel cancer two to three years Every part of me just thought, no, it's not my time. When I got back into my room after the surgery, I might have cried for about 10 minutes. And I remember several years ago, I set an intention to spirit. Every year I set an intention for what I want for my year. And I set this intention to please use my life as an example to others. You need to do, I'm open, use me. But at that stage... I was thinking my life was perfect. I was still in denial about how bad my marriage was and how unhappy I was, meaning use my life as an example because it's so perfect. So when I got the cancer diagnosis, I I sort of called out to God and I said, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean use me that way. (laughs) I was like, come on, guys, really, (laughs) then. (laughs) so it was quite funny and and I laughed at myself and my own thoughts and I think laughter is so powerful as well so I I got over that pretty quickly that sort of 20 minutes of feeling sorry for myself and I'm firm believer in knowing what you have control over and what you have no control over okay I have no control over the fact that I have cancer but I do have control over how I deal with it going forward and That's what I've done. I've dealt with it every step of the way. What was your treatment process like the first time you were diagnosed? 
I had six months of chemo, which started almost immediately. I had a port cath inserted into my chest. And so I would go every couple of weeks. You think you never forget, but I do actually forget a couple of weeks. I would sit for a day and have the chemo in through the port cath Then you would go home with it, uh, a small bottle attached to you. And I think that was for a couple of days. Yeah, so I had my mother-in-law made me all these lovely bags to carry this little chemo bottle around in and it would just pump. Yeah, for the next 24 or 48 hours, this chemo would just keep getting pumped into your system. So that was pretty exciting. But the whole time, the whole six months, I was really lucky. The only side effect I had was a bit of neuropathy which affects the nerve endings in my fingertips. And it was winter. So if I went walking without gloves on, it hurt my fingers. And if I picked anything up in the cold section at the supermarket, I'd literally have to throw it back into the shelf <laughs> because it would burn my fingers. And some metallic taste in my mouth, which chemo is accumulative in its effect. So in the beginning, I had that metallic taste maybe just an hour or so really slightly by day seven and towards the end of chemo the metallic taste would last pretty much a whole week Mm -hmm. and even water wasn't palatable so I would stay in bed as much as I could in that week where it was bad so that I wouldn't be thinking about food and wouldn't worry about eating. It's really dangerous I believe if you fall below your natural body weight and if you become underweight So the weeks where I felt good, I would eat as much as I could so that the weeks where I was starving, it didn't matter. I still maintained this really healthy weight the whole time. And during the chemo, because they were only my only two side effects, I was exercising two hours a day. So I was walking 45 minutes each way to a yoga class, 45 minutes at the yoga class. I do strength building exercises on the way on my walk and I live on the waterfront. So it was just so beautiful. I would sit and do journal writing. Yeah. And I didn't have to cut too much out of my diet. I actually wrote a blog on my website about my diet during chemo, where I talk about a lot of people, as you would know, when you first get cancer, all your well-meaning friends want to keep sending you articles and websites and, oh, this expert and this expert and try this vitamin and try this cleansing diet. It gets really overwhelming. So I did a lot of research. Yeah, I did a lot of research on stuff that was being sent to me and alternate medicines can play havoc when you're on chemo. It is recommended that you don't try a lot of that stuff. And even, I don't know if you'd heard of the Gearson diet. No. He's supposed to have this diet that's really great for cancer. Digging around on his website, it was saying, don't do the coffee enemas if you're undertaking chemo. If Don't do 20 shakes a day or the juices a day. Limit it to three or four. Mm. So you've got to really research, really research well, because you can do a lot more damage to yourself with alternate therapies. It's interesting that you touch on that because, as you said, your maids who are trying to help, it can be absolutely 100% overwhelming, but it's also like when you're doing your own research, you don't know. It's a merry-go-round. You don't know where to get off. You don't know what's real, what's going to align with your own body. And as you said, it, it is a lot to take in and a lot to touch on. Yeah, this thing aligning with your own body because there's so much information out there and it's so contradictory. Mm. One saying this is fabulous, one saying this. But I noticed there's a really important word when you're reading a lot of those articles and a word will say this could, this may, and that's really important. So people don't read that little word and they say, oh, this is a cure for, and that's really important. It's not this may this might, this could, depending on their words. It is so important. Before we keep going, I actually wanted to ask you something backtracking a little bit, because it sounds like we had a similar chemo process. I stayed in the hospital overnight because there was some weird dilemma, but I had a flush, right? So I'd stay in there and they'd flush it through with water. For our listeners that have Luckily enough, never had chemo. 
it is not a nice feeling. Chemo running through your body, it's really eerie. You get used to it after a while, but it's, I don't know about you, Ros, but I'll never forget it. It's just such a bizarre feeling. What was that like going home with that bag and continuing to have chemo? You actually don't feel it in that that bag. It's in a little bottle. You don't actually feel that one. It's very different to when you're sitting in the chair and it's pumping through you in that time. But yeah, I remember sitting in the chair, you just feel there. Are, there isn't a word to describe it. You have to experience it. But I remember I, I would take videos with me and just watch my computer or I'd literally just sleep while Mm. I was sitting in the chair because you just you don't really feel like doing anything you you just don't and it's yeah it's quite surreal no one can really understand it unless they're the ones experiencing it and I think that's what makes it such I, I won't use the word lonely journey but it really is a solo journey isn't it no matter how much support you have around you you're still very much alone in that journey through cancer. Yeah. Particularly if you've given a prognosis that wasn't so good. And it's like we were saying with different vitamins or health issues, everybody's body deals with the chemo a different way as well. Like I was really lucky that I didn't have many side effects, but I come from a long line of family members who have very strong constitutions. So, Mm -hmm. and I've got an enormous pain threshold and and power of the mind, but yeah, it, it can be it can be pretty, pretty daunting. And while you're sitting there with the other people who are having the chemo and yeah, that, that would have felt a bit daunting. You being the youngest one there as well. It's like everybody says, oh, she's too young. This shouldn't happen to someone so young. If for some reason we think young people should be devoid of anything, older people have lived a life already. But yeah. But that support's important, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My sister, my mother came to a couple of mine with me as well. I actually had family members. My, my brother got upset that how come I haven't been invited to go and sit with her? And everybody's asking for a position to be there for a day. But yeah, we would watch this program called um, Grace and Frankie or Frankie and Grace. It's an American thing about two older women, but we would laugh out loud while we were watching these Netflix episodes and people around us must be thinking, how could they laugh at a time like this? But like I said before, laughter is so important. You've got to keep laughing. And support networks too, like just when you were talking about your dad being there with you. I've heard horrendous stories about people that just have no support around them. So even though it's solo journey within you, support networks are so important. Like I I had, I've always been a person who was never liked being vulnerable. I had to be strong emotionally, physically, mentally, everything. So and so super independent and never accepted help from anyone with anything. And then when I got cancer, that was one of the gifts of cancer is that I had to let all those guards down and allow people in because the people around me wanted to be there for me and I had to let them in and let myself be vulnerable and it was just wonderful I formed bonds that were closer than the bonds I had before and yeah so there's it's there's a few gifts to be had from cancer and that's one of them I want to keep talking about your journey though quickly because I just sidetracked that so much I'm so sorry (laughs) that's all right but after 2016 and you were told two to three years right Yep. which is pretty insane because that's 2016 and we're currently in November 2022. So it's you've defied the odds. Yes, absolutely. After that six months of treatment, were you in remission after that? I believe they don't actually say remission. You, They might have changed it now, but you have to be five years clear before okay. they use a word like remission. Even the oncologist said chemo is not a cure. It's just something that helps prolong life. Uh, a little more. A lot of people say, oh, chemo won't cure anything. Nobody's saying it does. But and very often it will be all that someone needs for it not to come back again. But so 
December 2016 was the last of my chemos and we went on a lovely family weekend, all the sisters and stepmothers and kids, what have you. We had a lovely weekend away. And then I decided I wanted to detox from the chemo. Now, apparently the body has its own system for detoxing through through the liver or the kidneys, whatever part of the body does the detoxing. And uh, you should wait at least six months, apparently, before you start any detox program. But I'm impatient always. That hasn't changed. <laughs> and I was in a hurry to detox and get on with my life. My yoga teacher recommended Panchakarma, which is an Ayurvedic process for detoxing the body, every part of the body. And so I headed off to India in February of 2017 to spend a month there again at an Ayurveda hospital where I had this Panchakarma detox. But because I went so soon, they watered down a lot of the processes because if you detox too quickly, you can damage the liver. Yeah, because it floods the liver with toxins. So when I finished that month, I actually, during chemo, I was on such a high, I felt so healthy. But when I went through the detox, Panchakama detox, I actually felt a lot heavier when I finished. Mm. So I think it was just stirring all the toxins up, but perhaps it reset my body for the surgeries that were to come later. So we'll see. The jury is still out for me on that. They Panchakarma cures cancer. I didn't believe that again. Once again, I hate it when people say, use the word cure for cancer, that immediately sets off alarm bells for me. Yeah. One, one of the things that they said cures the cancer is I had to drink cow's urine twice a day. And cow's urine has huge elements of alkalinity in it and it's the alkaline that Mm -hmm. they say is the cure for cancer so I came back from from a month-long time in India and uh, within a couple of months of me getting back my ex-partner we hadn't divorced yet we were still just separated and we were actually closer after we separated believe it or not and that's funny when that happens isn't it uh, it's quite bizarre quite bizarre. Anyway, I always have this theory that you can't be friends with an ex. You can be friendly, but not friends. If you were such great friends, you'd still be making a go of the relationship. And anyway, so within months of me getting back, he was diagnosed with lung cancer and I nursed him for the last two weeks in hospital. He passed away five weeks after his diagnosis. Wow. So yeah, two, two very different stories there. Once again, he'd been having, when you talk about symptoms and how did you know, he'd been coughing for about a year. Typical of most men, he ignored it. And he had a pain in his lower back because it was already in his bones. But he thought the pain was, it was lung cancer that he had, but the pain, he thought the pain was from coughing all the time. Yeah. Just the stress he was putting. So, yeah, so that's that's pretty heavy. But I, one of the things I vowed to do when... I was diagnosed was to eliminate stress because Mm. there's a huge link which they're proving between stress and cancer. So I made it my goal to don't sweat the small stuff, they say, and it's all small stuff. So I don't invite stress. I don't look for stress. I don't want to get involved in other people's dramas. I don't have any of my own, but caring for my partner when he got cancer, then I was managing his estate, which was really complex and complicated. Like he was a financial advisor, but (laughs) he had stuff everywhere and we had to sort through it. And I had my daughter's help. She worked for her dad in his office. So I had her help, but the stress was still enormous. And of course, I was worried about our three kids. Mm. They were already having so much fear about losing me. And then they lost their father. So I was trying to support them emotionally, trying to deal with his estate. So that was, he passed away September 2017. And by December, cancer had returned again for me. No. Yeah. So that was 2017. So then I had to wait a minute again. And I had mid 2018 then I went in for surgery and I had what's called HIPEC surgery. So they only do HIPEC for advanced stages of appendix cancer or bowel cancer. And it's where you get cut from your chest to your pelvis. 
open you right up. I actually lost all my stomach lining, my appendix, all sorts of things. And then they pour heated liquid chemo into the stomach, physically massage it around all your organs with their hands for about an hour and a half. And then they drain it out, wash it with saline, stitch it back up again. So that's a really intensive surgery and it can have really terrible after effects. And you have a, you're supposed to have a month in hospital. But again, I got a strong body. I was out of <laughs> hospital two, two weeks afterwards. The time in hospital was pretty bad. There was a lot of vomiting. I felt like shit, if um, you don't mind me saying. No, uh, but, but I was strong enough to leave after two weeks. But I was back in there 24 hours later because I had internal bleeding. And it was turned into a big mass and wedged under my rib cage and I couldn't breathe properly. So then I ended up having two more weeks in hospital, just waiting for this internal bleeding to, to die down. But bounced back again in no time, had a little bit of acid reflux, which I didn't know. I thought it was just an after effect of the surgery. If I ate the wrong foods, I'd be vomiting a lot. But other than that, I was fit and healthy and back to having a great social life. I have yeah. never heard of anything like that in terms of the hot liquid and your stomach. Yeah, HIPEC, H-I-P-E-C. Wow. HIPEC, it's, it's pretty wild. But then I had in 2021, my cancer had returned again. So I actually went in for another HIPEC surgery, which apparently it's, it's pretty rare to have a second round of that because it's such invasive surgery. And this time I just bounced back so fast. It wasn't funny. It was nothing like the first time I had it. But the thing is, they can't do it again. There's that much scar tissue. Yeah. But now I've lost most of my large bowel. Just mm -hmm. got a tiny little bit <laughs> of the large bowel left. But yeah, cancer has been a wonderful journey. And just when I was talking before about emotions and what have you and stress, like I'm a proponent of the link between emotions and disease. And I really think bowel cancer I created, not everyone, but I think I mine was created because of all those years of hanging on to that toxic anger. Yeah. I wasn't releasing, releasing through the bowel. That's my take on it. You are incredible. That is such a crazy story, Roz. <laughs> I just, I've never heard of that kind of treatment before. I've done it twice now. Yeah, it's the second time you'll probably like, oh, here we go. I know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm an old hand. I went into hospital. It was my 60th birthday, and that's when I had to do the bowel prep. So my celebration for my 60th birthday was bowel prep. You drink that solution to clean out your colon, mm -hmm. and then when I went into the operation um, the next day, the nurse said, hey, it was your 60th, wasn't it? And I said, yeah. So while they were waiting to prep me for surgery, all the doctors and nurses sang happy birthday to me. Oh, sweeties. <laughs> I know, it was really lovely. We're finishing each other's sentences already. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good sign. Uh, it's a great sign. So I want to know, what is the current verdict? Where are you at in terms of your cancer journey? They don't know what to do with me. It's like, you're not supposed to survive this long. And I don't know what it's like in other states. I did read on a UK cancer site that 10 out of 100 people with stage four cancer will live five years and beyond after their prognosis. So that certainly seems to be the case for me. And the bowel surgeon, when I finished the second surgery, third surgery in 2021, he said, oh, there is such a thing as spontaneous remission. So they were talking about doing, what's that chemo you have? Maintenance chemo. So they were talking about me going on to maintenance chemo. And he said, what do you think? Do you think you should start maintenance chemo? This was after the surgery because they just decided, well, that's it now. It's going to come back for sure, even though she's had this third surgery because that's it. It's she's supposed to be gone now. I said, no, I don't think so. What do you think? You're the expert. I don't know. Let's ask the oncologist. So I had my meeting with the oncologist and he said, I don't know. What do you think? I said, I don't know. What do you think? Nobody knows what to do. Anyway, I said, look, I really don't want to go on maintenance chemo. Before my surgery in 2021, um, the oncologist wanted me to go on chemo and I'd already had my portacath taken out. So 
he gave me chemo tablets and he said they're a lot more severe and I had a dreadful reaction to them and ended up in hospital. Only one dose of chemo tablets. What? Yeah, I ended up in hospital. And while I was in hospital, they realised I had uh, shingles mm. on my back. <laughs> I was like this diseased person. They were, even the people delivering coffee to my room had to totally gown up before they came into the room. Oh, like, oh my God, it was such an overkill. Anyway, and then I got out of hospital and two weeks later, I went in for my high surgery. Anyway, I said, no, absolutely not. I don't want maintenance chemo. I said, look, if it's my time, if chemo comes back and there's absolutely nothing can be done about it now, I'm happy with that. I've had a good life. I'm at peace with dying, honestly. The only thing that bothers me now is because the kid's father isn't around. And that my son's 23. I have a daughter 25 and my eldest daughter 30 who just got married and got one beautiful grandchild to their coupling. Not that they wouldn't be left with a terrible hole and a terrible grief. As they get older, they're going to have families of their own and they'll have their own little cocoons that they're in. So yeah. they would miss me, but life goes on. Yeah, you know, life, life does go on. And once again, it's one of those things, do I have control over it or don't I? And I have no control over how other people grieve if mm. I've gone. So I can't let that be one of my worries because it's my role to now be amazing and live a fabulous life but I've just had so many blessings with cancer I've just I've thoroughly enjoyed this journey if I can say that they literally don't know what to do with you yeah they don't know what to do with me so anyway <laughs> I said no I, I don't want maintenance chemo and he was a little bit oh okay okay but at my six-month review since mid-year this year he said look if it hasn't come back now it probably won't for a while but I have a PET scan every year and my son always says oh yeah I can tell when they're due mum because like even though I think I'm handling things really well just before a PET scan is due in those weeks prior I just start to get a little bit more antsy about everything and yeah so he can always tell because it's I don't believe I'll get cancer again but what if I do get cancer again you have all that stuff going on I'm okay with dying but I'm not dying yet I just know as far as being ready I think it was around about 2010 my father was diagnosed with prostate cancer I thought how can I serve him in the best possible way when his time comes mm -hmm. and mind you he's defied the odds as well I tell you I came come from a strong family he was told to go home and start making preparations as you will ready pack your bags say your goodbyes and 12 years later he is still going out on his boat on weekends oh. still yeah so we're a family that don't give me a number, please. I'm not a statistic. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> but when he was diagnosed, I went and did a Buddhist course on death and dying. And the facilitator said, it's really important at the time of your death to be at peace spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And I really got me thinking then, what does that actually mean? And what would my life look like if this was it for me? Psychic had told me not long before that, that she said, your father's journey is your journey. And I didn't know what she meant at the time, but it turns out me doing that workshop and going on my own journey then to spiritual mm -hmm. and emotional healing is part of what led to me being at peace when I was diagnosed with cancer. So his journey ended up being journey. my journey your perspective on the world and I guess the spiritual journey as well is so fascinating to me you have words that I may have never been able to put words to if that makes sense oh yeah that's great thank you Would well you I was listening to Ben Lyons I think it was your second podcast in Ben Lyons I was listening to him and he was talking about when he got cancer and he'd started to friends from his life mm -hmm. and I thought I'd written about that in one of my podcasts and in, in my book too it's funny your world gets smaller after you have cancer but it actually gets bigger from making it smaller because you eliminate you start eliminating all the things that aren't important in your life clutter the clutter the uh, physical clutter in your home everything clutter and suddenly 
life feels really big. But, in the you best know, way. Like, yeah. But it's like, I remember you saying to him, and what about now? You're still doing that now. And he said, oh, no, you've got that period of time when you first diagnosed where, you know, everything's soft and fluffy and you just start speaking nicer to people and, you know. Just and then as the years wear on and there's no sign of the cancer, your old self comes out again and <laughs> like little resumes. bits. <laughs> Something's changed forever. I think uh, similar in a situation where at some point in the last 10 years, because it's been 10 years since I was originally diagnosed, I think I fully lost that part of myself in terms of gratitude and being kind to every single person I come across. And I I try my hardest to do that. And I'm human, sometimes I might not do that, but I fully lost all sense of that self. It's been so interesting kind of learning, just reminding myself of what I've been through prior to that and learning those ways again, being patient because patience is something so important. I know, I don't know about you, Rose, but I learned from my cancer experience, waiting in hospitals, waiting for verdicts, waiting. You have to be patient in such a quick world and everything happens so fast and at the click of a finger. It's so easy to forget to be patient. Oh, patience. Terrible. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) I hate it. I'm not a patient person. In the beginning of my diagnosis, like things were happening so fast. I didn't have to wait for anything. It was Mm. incredible. And then with the HIPEC surgery, because there's only one surgeon in every state that does HIPEC, a credit to our um, public health system, you can only get it done in the public health system with some of the, the best doctors the absolute best surgeons so how lucky are we but there's because it's only done by one surgeon in every state there is a probably a six-month wait often you know that second time my cancer came back it was diagnosed December 2017 and I didn't have surgery till May June of 2018 Mm. so it's hey Please, this is a hurry, but they only do it for advanced cases. So everybody's cancer is important. Yeah, but yeah, that being patient. Yeah, <laughs> next level learning. Yeah. But, but there, there are so many other things that I did. Like you mentioned that word gratitude and live with daily gratitude. It's amazing. And one of the other gifts too was like, I never would have been on someone's podcast and been a guest speaker. I had that many fears my whole life about not being good enough and fear of being judged. And, you know, what if I make a mistake? I'm going to look silly. And within me, I just, I knew that I was meant to be doing great things with my life. And I was too afraid to step out and do it. And when I got diagnosed with cancer, I just went, what a waste of time. How much my life have I wasted? And I immediately just abandoned all of those fears, you know, and now, like I say, I I wrote a book and published it. I've been on TV. I've been on radio. I've been on podcasts. And it doesn't matter if I sound silly. Who cares? (laughs) I've got a message and, and I'm out there and I'm giving it. And I asked Spirit years ago use me as an example so if this is how they're using me so be it it's it's great let your light shine throwing you around like a little rag doll for a little bit (laughs) so that you could be (laughs) (laughs) so that we can shine you're right you've touched on a little bit about coping mechanisms during that time but this podcast is I'm already seeing it even within a couple of episodes that not only are people who have cancer listening, but people who have boyfriends, loved ones, siblings, best friends, dad has it. There's all kinds of people listening. So I want your opinion on coping mechanisms, firstly for yourself and also maybe for others around you. Do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I I think when you're first diagnosed, there's a want to get on the internet and start researching personal stories from other people that have had your particular type of cancer. And that can be good and bad. I made sure I only looked for positive stories. I did not want to hear about the negative stories. I wouldn't buy into it. There's statistics always about prognosis and what have you. I didn't read a lot on those. Because once again, I did not want to buy into it. I just mm. wanted to stay positive. doesn't matter if people say you're in denial. Who cares? I'm the one dealing with cancer. This is my story. I didn't buy into any negativity. But I did do research 
to find out uh, words associated with my cancer so that when I sat in front of doctors, because they've been doing it a long time, so they don't realize that the language they use is foreign to the patient sitting in front of them. So mm. I researched the language associated with the cancer that I had so that when I went to the doctors, I could keep up with what they were saying. And in the beginning, I also asked permission to record the sessions with the doctor because, you know, that brain fog that you go into when you're mm -hmm. first diagnosed, you don't remember anything that's said. So I could look back afterwards and listen to it and I go, oh, yeah, I forgot they said that. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. Just be careful with overwhelming yourself and those well-meaning friends who want to send you a million articles. You can just say, thank you so much and just leave it at that because they help. Everyone wants to help. Thank you so much and allow them to do it and then put it aside wherever you need to put it. Some bits will be helpful and some won't. <laughs> thank, you. thank you so much. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. People want to help. People want to help. So yeah, advice just for attitude, just diet, exercise. Like they say, when you're going through chemo, it can make you very tired. So if you get ahead of that with an exercise routine straight off, and it only needs to be walking. It doesn't have to be going to the gym and lifting weights or anything. Just try at least 10 to 15 minutes, even when you don't feel like it, because that will actually keep your energy levels up. And mm. like I did, especially when I was going through the chemo, I ate really lots of food when when I felt like I could eat so that it would compensate for the days when I couldn't eat. Yeah. Yeah. And, as, and let people in, let people support you. You know, my sister was making soups. I didn't need anything. Like I said, I, I had plenty of energy, but I let her make me the soups and I enjoyed eating the soups. And it's always nice not to have to cook for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't want anyone being down around me. I didn't want people sitting around feeling sorry for me and stuff because I I needed my energy and my emotional state to stay high. Yeah, It can be like an elephant in the room, can't it? When people, if people start talking about things they're doing in the future and then they go, oh, I shouldn't talk about that. This person's dying. And I think, so I would talk to people about their future plans. I would be the one to bring up those things in conversation so that other people could breathe and relax around me and feel free to talk about their lives in a positive way without feeling guilty yeah. about, about talking about themselves. And as, as far as supporting others, that's a hard one. My kids actually, I remember when I was first diagnosed and we had a family gathering because I've got a psychology background. I think it's healthy that everyone sit around and talk openly. So we gathered the kids together and I said, all right, let's talk about it. What are you feeling? What are you fearing? What, what are you experiencing? And they couldn't speak. They said, please don't ask us to do that. They just, they were so gripped by fear. Mm -hmm. They did not want to, they didn't want to talk about it. And I had to respect that. And I read an article about if, if a family member is dying from cancer and You've got teenagers, just they spend all their lives being told what to do by their parents. And then you reach that period in your life where you're suddenly ready to break out and you're free and independent and invincible. And if you're at that age, when a parent's diagnosed with cancer, you can actually feel a little bit resentful that you're being pulled back in and required to help or whatever. So it, it's a tough time and everyone deals with their grief very differently. I know my three kids, particularly when their father passed away and two of them. So she coped by just not recognizing that there was anything to deal with at all it was like yeah. it almost seems cold to anyone on the outside but that's how she coped um my daughter Stacy there's always one in the family who's the caretaker so my daughter Stacy was the one if I needed someone to get me to an appointment she was right there doing it or emotional support she was there and my son Matthew yeah he was I don't know what he was at that age then. I think he was in his last year of high school. And the day I got diagnosed, he was having a meeting with the school because he was being severely bullied at school. There was supposed to be a meeting going on. So while he's got all this trauma happening in his school life, then his mum gets diagnosed with cancer. And Matt's really open with his feelings, a lot of tears from him. And then with their father passing, that was 
whole other grief to deal with. But as a counsellor now too, I just made sure that we had all sorts of rituals and processes for dealing with the grief and we lot, lots of family videos. One thing the kids were told by someone is when their father passed, they said, write down everything you remember about him. Mm-hmm. It, every tiny little thing, because you forget, you will forget. And so they wrote down all these quirky little things and they were so glad when they looked back on it because they go, oh my gosh, yeah, I forgot he did things like that. Yeah, but they'll be able to talk more about how to cope with with grief or the fear of someone passing. But I know Matthew, might he gets a little bit anxious too when it's time for PET scans or if I feel unwell with anything or I've got some heartburn. Are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> like he's, yeah, he's always in fear of it coming back. And that hmm. men's retreat that I just said he went on, he got to deal a lot with some of that grief that he was experiencing while he was on that retreat. I've forgotten what your question was. It's okay. You don't need to worry. <laughs> this is fantastic. I've just gone on and on. <laughs> I think it's, I think my question was coping mechanisms, but it's interesting you bring it up and in terms of your kids and being the ages that they are, because they're still babies in the scheme of things. Like I'm, I consider myself still a little lady in terms of the big world that I still have ahead of me, but I'm 27. I know watching all of my friends and my mates and my little sister who were around the similar age to me, it isn't, it wasn't fair that they had to go through that. And as you were touching on in terms of being that age and it being such a vital part to breaking free and living your adult life and then having to deal with, this big load of shit that you've been dealt with and like somebody that you love so much. It's, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. And it's something that I would love to talk to your son and or daughter about because it needs to be unhashed. It's hard and it's hard to yeah. communicate because you, you, it's meant to be the prime of your life. And then somebody that you love so much could be taken away from you. So yeah, I touch wood haven't had to go through anything like that directly, but I know that it really messed with people that love me. Yeah, that's the thing. Like your parents, she was so young. And even my mother said she was so depressed after I got diagnosed. And yet I'm an adult woman. I was like 54 or something when I was diagnosed. And yet my mother and my father in their 80s, they were just devastated you because you're not supposed to outlive your child no matter what age you all are yeah it's I think it's like at your age you are in that prime where you just should be out there living life and it's amazing and you're invincible so it's yeah it's a funny time it's a funny time but otherwise a lot of people not everybody deals with their cancer diagnosis the same way but Mm -hmm. yeah it's pretty devastating for the people around you yeah, but look at us now. We're killing it. <laughs> yeah, but like I'm sure, no doubt, because you have just such an impressive list of things that you've done slash you're currently in the process of doing. And I have no doubt that people would be like to you, how do you do it all? And it's this is what I've been through. This is what I'm currently enduring and I'm trying not to worry about. And this is why I'm doing it all because I can. As you said, you're here for a special reason, which is... Yeah, says it all. But most people wait until they've got a terrible diagnosis before they change their lives in a way that's better and more positive. So don't wait. Be amazing. Let your light shine. Mm. If you've got a dream to do something, do it. Yeah, It's just when I say I'm quite at peace if it's my time, because I've lived a full life. I've had a wonderful time. Like even even in my marriage, even though it was toxic, I had, we traveled a lot. We had a comfortable life. I did a lot of good things. I had three amazing children. I had so many adventures in my young life. I'm living a full life now. Like there's, there's nothing I haven't done. And, but that original thing where the Buddhist nun said, be at peace emotionally and spiritually. Emotionally, that's all about mending relationships. Oh, there's so many people who are dying and there's still a sister or a brother or a parent or a child that they don't have a relationship with. And mm. I just, that breaks my heart. I think that's so sad. So mend those fences, forgive people, say sorry, say thank you, get out there and do it and start living with gratitude every day. When I was diagnosed, I had such program every day of deep heartfelt gratitude. So when I got diagnosed, I actually, my life still felt full. 
Mm. and go oh my god it's taken so much from me it doesn't really take anything from you I think it can add to your life if you put all those things in place to start making it a positive journey yeah absolutely yeah I think we've really covered majority of the questions that I wanted to ask which is impressive maybe I sent them to you before the interview or something I don't know (laughs) I don't know it's just taken on a life of its own (laughs) which is great there is one important thing though there's a couple of things actually but I'll just a few more questions that I want to ask but it's about advice to know if you have any advice for somebody who is currently going through a diagnosis or living with cancer what would that be don't lose hope and like I said before you know don't listen to the numbers that don't make yourself a statistic. Like I even know when my father was diagnosed, I was with him when he got his diagnosis. And he said to the doctor, oh, that's really negative, isn't it? Like the doctor said pretty much, that's it for you. There's no hope. And my father just went, no, so negative. And the doctor said, that's been my experience with your type of cancer. So my father went, no, I'm sorry, I'm not buying into that. And he too went in search of a doctor who would be more positive. So he found a doctor called Dr. Yaxley from the Wesley up here in Brisbane. And that doctor was still realistic about the prognosis, Mm. but he he was humorous. And he just said, like one of my surgeons said, every apple in a bag of apples is not the same. So just because you've been given a prognosis doesn't mean it's your prognosis. So just stay positive. There's always hope. And I've just met since I'm on this journey now and yourself as well, I met so many people that have advanced cancers and told there's no hope and they have beaten the odds. They're just getting more and more advances in science and research and medicines. Just follow your gut instincts. You're going to know what's right for you. Yeah. Get familiar with the language so that you understand what the doctors are talking to you about. Take a little more control over what's being done, what you're prepared to accept and not. But don't listen to negativity and if you're going to do research into other people's stories look for the positive ones yeah and I think but another vital thing is if you're not happy with a doctor you don't have to be there are plenty of specialists out there and that is also like getting follow-ups getting checkups if the first diagnosis isn't doesn't feel right go get another opinion because it's really important to do that yeah absolutely Mm. Absolutely. We, my, my husband had a dreadful experience when he was diagnosed, but he didn't have time to think about alternatives. But yeah, if you're not happy, get another opinion. Absolutely get another opinion. My final question, because we've got the ticking thing up in the top corner again. I know this is a big question. And by no means when I ask people this question, am I like targeting any of you or wanting to, I don't know, but I, my, my question is, are you going to do anything? I know you've already done heaps, but is there anything that you want to do in particular to help people affected by cancer in the future? I think just more of what I'm doing at the moment, like yeah. in, in the book I wrote, I have a big section on grief, on nursing my partner through his cancer, the journey mm-hmm. I took through my cancer with all the things that kept me positive and how important that was. Just speaking on podcasts and writing my blogs, I think, you know, anyone going through this journey, they've got access to that information if they want. I don't know if you put people's websites up on I your will. Spotify page yeah so they can go if they need some positive input there's your podcast which Mm -hmm. is fabulous because I don't think there's anything else like that you're talking to people with positive stories so stay positive don't buy into negativity that's the way I'm helping just keep spreading the word 